Hello everyone and welcome back to the 343 Football Podcast. Once again, it's your host Jaffa and I'm joined by Daud, Ali and Kudama. How's everyone doing? Going. You're right. Yeah, yeah just been enjoying the, some of the football lately. Obviously, we're all still in lockdown. The football's on every day and there's more fixtures to come in with week. So if you're into it, then it's good times really. And uh, we're picking a pace in, in, the, in the Premier League in particular and that's the league I want us to focus on just at the start of the podcast today. Um, with specific mention to Manchester City because, um, you know, in recent years you've had Manchester City and Liverpool blowing everyone out of the water. It's a two-team race. This year it seems like there's multiple teams involved, but are we finally witnessing maybe a breakaway and it's going to be Manchester City that's the favourite, do you guys think? I don't know. Um, there's a lot of twists and turns in this league. Yeah, I mean, just... I'm thinking that because of how impressive they've been, you know, uh, they're not scoring sevens and sixes like when they first dominated in 17-18, but uh, it, it's the clean sheets in particular that seems to be um, giving them an advantage over everyone else. Their defensive record out of nowhere is just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, obviously, they've, they've done something which they always do, their £15 million signing for Ruben Diaz, and it's made a massive difference. But there's also the, the um, well, another £50 million man from Yezba, which is John Stones, and he seems to be sort of the key figure, doesn't he, in terms of how reinvigorated they've been lately? Yeah, I think it's a combination of that trio, isn't it? I mean, what's the stat? Him, Edison and Diaz haven't conceded yet in, when they've been on the pitch together, which is an absolutely insane record because I think it's something now like um, four or five, if not more, odd games, isn't it? I'm not sure. I can't remember the stat. I remember it was doing the rounds after they, uh, they won a few, few games ago. Um, I don't know if you guys remember when I said a few weeks back, uh, that I still fancied Liverpool for the title. Uh, that's not looking too good now. That prediction, like because it's like you say, Man City have almost like returned to their roots under Guardiola, where they're playing like uh, you know out of their skins. Their defense is solid. Their attack is scoring. Um, you know, I think I read an article some a uh, few days ago where Guardiola said that they've uh, tried to revert back to type. Like the last season, they couldn't play with the high and wide wingers like they were when he first joined. And, they start to do that more with their wingers hitting form again, and it's it's paying dividends. I mean, no one in the league yeah. right now looks close to to their level in terms of form. I think they've won their last five games now, if not more, and they're just looking like they're gonna they're gonna run away with it. I agree. If you have to look at it, they're one game behind, the three points ahead of United. So if they win the next game against Burnley, which they most likely will, to be to be fair, Burnley have sometimes been a bit of a bogey team for them. Um, you you have a look at their last what ten matches? They've nearly won every single one. If I'm if if my math is correct, yeah, ten, eleven, yeah, uh, it's 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 crazy. And um, like you said, they they're hardly conceding any goals in the league. They're showing everybody how it's done. Uh, don't get me wrong, the uh, last match against Sheffield United, and um, they only won one nil. Uh, however, they never looked like they were going to concede, uh, even though they were holding on to just a 1-0 nil, a nil, uh, lead. Now, if that isn't you know, a character of a title-winning team, I don't know what is. Whereas, considering Manchester United, we always look like we're just, you know, um, just cl- clawing our ways uh, all the way to the 90, 90th minute. Whereas Manchester City are, you know, cruising to the 90th minute, comfortably seeing it out. 
uh, at the same with Liverpool to be fair um, you know the, the the injuries are hampering that uh, comfortable aspect of uh, them seeing out games I mean Man City aren't actually like uh, unknown to go on runs like this if you guys remember when they last won the league they had that unbelievable run of form after they dropped points against Newcastle and then they went on to win the remaining 14 games. You know, a lot of people talk about Liverpool being, you know, mentality monsters in the club and having that cutting edge and like uh, just seeing out games, like you say, or winning when they're not playing well. But Man, Man City on that far behind in, in, in that aspect. So as unpredictable as this season is, I wouldn't be surprised to see Man City go on another unbelievable run. I mean, I've, they've got a tougher run of fixtures than they did in January coming up this, this month. Um, I think they play Liverpool, they play Arsenal and Tottenham. So it'll be probably by the end of this month that we'll see who's really going to be at the top of the, uh, the table come, come the end of the season. Do you guys remember that really famous uh, Liverpool-Manchester City match? Uh, in, I think it was the... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was either in the 17th... No, it must have been in the 18-19 season when there was that clearance off the line and uh, Sané and... Yeah, I remember that. For fuck's sake, win. I remember that. Yeah, I remember it. It was the unlu- you think that this, unluckiest uh, game in history. So, <laughs> I'm not, now, I'm not bringing it up just to uh, mess with you, uh, Ali, because I know you're a big Liverpool fan. But the reason I'm bringing it up is because, you know, Liverpool and Man City is a very close-coming fixture. And do you think that the, the one coming up has a similar sort of vibe and feel to that to that 2-1 game? Like, it's the same significance, really? No. That was a lot more closer, a lot more tighter as well. I don't think this is as tight with Liverpool v- being very leaky in the back. And Man City just, you know, defending really well. And Guardiola getting this new burst of energy out of this Man City team out of nowhere. I, I don't think, I don't think I at all. You know, that, that game was totally different where Liverpool were at the peak, Man City were at the peak. Right now, Liverpool are leaking goals left, right and centre. Obviously, you're bring, trying to bring defensive reinforcements. But Man City going to run away with it. Ugh. It's only one way I can see it, really. Both teams were at their peak back then, and even though this is another um, important game for the top of the for the top of the table, I don't think it will be as high level as it was back then. Because I, honestly, I don't know about you guys, but I think that might be one of the most high quality games of football I've seen in the Premier League. I honestly, don't remember like not just that. two teams having twenty two yeah, players that I... are like almost world class in every position. Yeah. Kadama's just not that though. It's also the quality of players. You had Sane there, you know, you had you had a prime Firmino, you had you had quality players all over the pitch. And it was just great attacking football. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what I mean. Like that level of football, both Manchester City and Liverpool oh, okay. have, have I, fallen I, I off. Ju- I, I just yeah, I just thought you meant the two teams. I I was talking about the quality of players. Now obviously um Sane's been replaced by Fernand Torres and other players have been replaced and the Liverpool players have been getting a bit older so I don't think the intensity is there as it used to be. The one thing that I feel as well is that that, that particular match, the 2-1, as you say, one of the most high-quality Premier League matches you'll ever see and I feel like it, it sort of was a bit reminiscent to when Real Madrid and uh, Barcelona were squaring off and it was the height of the Ronaldo-Messi Classicos where you had the supporting cast like Di Maria, Ozil and Iesta Xavi. It sort of felt like that. I've never really felt of the Premier League sort of reaching the height of those classical matches. But when I watched that match, I got that vibe as well. So it's it's kind of a shame to me that Liverpool have dropped off. And it's circumstantial, you know, like the injuries, you can never legislate for them. And it's not like Klopp is, you know, he's declined in a Mourinho type of sense. He's still an incredible manager. But you kind of, for me, in terms of the Premier League being interesting, I really like the narrative that them two have set in the last few years. And I wish that, 
because last year Man City dropped off from it, and this year Liverpool have dropped off from it. Whereas I, I really enjoy it more when them two kind of neck and neck, and uh, the quality of football they pushed on each other to achieve as well. So for me, as much as Man City's improvements are enjoyable, I might say this, and I don't know if you disagree. I still don't think this Manchester City team is as impressive as they were two years ago, even with this renewed defensive solidity and, and this form that they've gone on to, uh, you know, uh, in recent No, weeks. I agree. I mean, I still think that um, Liverpool, I mean, look what they did to Manchester, uh, to Tottenham uh, midweek and how easily they, you know, breezed past West Ham. So I think, by, like, once they get past this rough patch of injuries and how players start to come back, we will see Manchester City and Liverpool playing at a much higher level than they are even now. And that's with Man City's current form. So, yeah, that peak probably won't be reached again. But I don't think it's like it's uh, it won't be seen again or matched again uh, to a certain extent. So it'll be interesting Liverpool to see that game. Liverpool always have still. a bad January as well. Yeah, they do, don't they? That's, that's a common thing with Klopp. And there's also another like, thing people have drawn comparisons. They always have a bad January. People have drawn comparisons with uh, his last season at Dortmund. I mean... I don't know what you make of that. Like, is there something to be said that Klopp's style of football eventually takes its toll on on a group of players, and they just can't match that energy going into their what is it now seventh? Yeah. Is it this is sixth or seventh season? Yeah, now? it does. Uh, I game? totally agree with that. So, what do you think the, the solution is there? Like, what what's Klopp supposed to be doing? It's just getting more more quality in. But then, what can you do with? The injuries, you know, we've had injuries up front, we've had injuries in defence. We had no defence. Literally, we've got no centre-back. Even though there's rumours centre-backs are getting signed and whatnot, there's actually no official senior centre-back in that Liverpool team right now. And in January, it was always the African Cup of Nations thing going on. So all our all Liverpool players, which were African, went off and the decline came from there as well. Yeah, so I mean, you know, Man City's uh, uptick in form has uh, pretty much impressed everyone and you could consider them title favourites uh, at this point, really. They've got a game in hand on second and I think if they win it, they go six points clear. But, you know, the, the, the Liverpool match is at Anfield as well and I know that finally they've lost the league match at Anfield and it had to be a team like uh, Sean Dyche's Burnley. It's always going to happen. You know, it wasn't uh, Man City who rolled into town and, and, and broke that record. I think that might work better in Liverpool's favour, though, do you know what I mean? Because now... You could have pinpointed that match. If the, if the streak was still not unbroken, you could have pinpointed that match to say, OK, Man City's probably going to finally end the Anfield hoodoo. But I think because Burnley sort of uh, hit the reset button on that streak, I just think Liverpool are going to be playing a little bit calmer and the Anfield effect is going to probably see... I, I actually think Liverpool... I, would I don't think that. that. Uh, I don't think that at all. I think there's not going to be any pressure on Liverpool anymore. You know, that record was obviously something holding them back from obviously going free-flowing football at Anfield. Um, and uh, Liverpool, Liverpool gonna go full, full club heavy metal football. I can't wait to see it come. The album should be coming out soon. Yeah, I mean it'll be one of the best games of the season for sure. I think it, it's definitely one of those cliche six pointers, right? I mean Liverpool are now chasing Manchester City a little bit, and I, I guess the biggest tell will be how Manchester City play. Uh, I think Wednesday night. Um, or was it Thursday Guys, can night I quickly say something? Uh, I just yeah. Kodama, right? What I just want to say is, you know, we talk about Man City and Liverpool being in this title race. Nobody gives a fuck about Manchester United. That's a funny thing oh, about yeah, them. I was actually second. going to bring up a point. I, I wanted to ask, I was like, do you guys think, <laughs> do you guys see anybody else having, you know, being a bit of a dark horse in the title race? But not to be Manchester honest, when I look United. At the rest of the league, I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed by anyone. I mean, a lot of people were touting Chelsea. Definitely not Manchester United. I mean, if you watch the game against Arsenal, it shows that. 
that their position on the top of the table was one of the many others that happened throughout the season. You know, you had Southampton, Leeds, uh, and Everton. I think at one point where you knew it wouldn't last because you know they did, the teams never really passed the eye test. They never really impressed, and Manchester City, United <laughs> were no different. And a lot of people touted Chelsea at the start of the season to be somewhat dark horses, but we all know how that that ended up. So yeah, I mean, is there anyone really that I don't know about you guys? Is there anyone really that you see as being outsiders to the title race at all? Nope. Just Liverpool, and uh, because I, I think uh, Man City and Liverpool are going to be first and second. No, I, I'm not saying Liverpool will win it, but I think they'll be the closest run thing to Man City. I think Liverpool will end up finishing second in the league uh, from this. What about Leicester City or none of them? Tottenham, none of them coming back. Tuchel have made has made uh, Chelsea play a pretty. pretty I'll well be right. honest, uh, t- Tottenham, and I've I've been trying to kind of. Not agree that Mourinho's passed it because I just think when when you talk about a manager like him and saying passed it, it's it's very dismissive, it's very reductive. You know, there's a lot of nuance to discussing Mourinho, but the the more he like, the, the more he's been in the Premier League in recent seasons, I would say since uh, his second stint at Chelsea, uh, the 15-16 season, he's been trying, he's been having to prove himself a little bit because that season was a disaster and it sort of hit his reputation a bit. Obviously, he he won those two trophies at Man United. People thought, okay. He's still a winner. It doesn't matter where he is. He'll get you the trophies. But he, he's got a final coming up uh, in the League Cup. And I suppose uh, that it lacks prestige. But uh, if he wins that, I guess he could maybe shut up his doubters a little bit. But as far as title contention goes, or even Champions League contention, uh, I'm not feeling too confident about Tottenham's chances the way the, the way they're playing at the moment. Do you see them having a chance at the Europa League? Nope. No, because I, I feel like in the Europa League... Uh, I mean, I'm sure they'll get to the latter stage. Like the quarterfinal, but there's always the teams that drop down from the Champions League are too strong. And I mean, come on, they could. They, it's not even the fact that they're not that very good. They, they don't even know how to create high quality chances against the lesser sides in the league. Never mind the, the higher sides. You know what I mean? So uh, Brighton pretty much had a comfortable victory against them just now. And uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not considering Tottenham in terms of Leicester. It's it's a bridge too far for them. They're a great side, but. You can't be talking about Leicester City in the title. I think they they need to focus on doing something that they bottled last year, which is uh, securing right. Champions League from. I I agree with that. What do um, the the three three teams? One of them's crappy United, the other ones Spurs, and Leicester all have. What do they all have in common? They you all play in, they all play in Europa League. You know those games are going to take its toll on on the players. You know just just remember that you know. You know, Manchester United fans, they could just be uh, sucking themselves off, talk about how great Manchester United are, but look, the ship's going to sink, right? That's that's all it is. You know, they're going to sink and, and they're going to disappear again. I just want to say that. You know, I, don't, I haven't really heard much from Dowd now. Where, where's he gone? Has he went to the bathroom or something? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, just, uh, I'm just playing my cards close to my heart. Um, because I don't want to say that Man United... Man, they're not going to win the league, man. They're not going to win the league. But I'm saying that we're definitely putting a very good challenge to to mount it up for next year, definitely. Speaking of challenges, we've got uh, Thomas Tuchel now appointed at Chelsea and there's a challenge for him to save something out of Chelsea's season. I know that Ali was a long-time critic of uh, Frank Lampard's ability. You've always said that he never really proved himself uh, up to that job. You know, like all he did was uh, have a, pr- a promotion uh, playoff run for for Derby County, and he didn't even succeed in doing it. 
So obviously there's a much more much more decorated manager in Toko uh, coming in. He just got PSG to their first Champions League after the their new money era. Uh, he's always been known for the attractive football he played with Dortmund and of course his success with Mainz. So a little bit of a similar crop trajectory there. Uh, not not 100% the same, but you know there are similarities. Do you think that the Tuchel appointment is, is one that should excite Chelsea fans. Can they go far with him as manager? Or are we going to be talking in two years' time of a new Chelsea manager because Tuchel, like, I don't know, won one trophy and then had a bad run of eight games the next season. So he was sacked by Ibramovic. OK. I'm going to say this right now. Next season, Chelsea champions under Thomas Tuchel. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that is a big... That's how much oh, I rate Big claim. You know, um, he got minds to European football, playing in the Europa League. Has he even won a trophy yet? Yeah, he's won trophies. Has he even won a trophy? Yeah, he's won trophies. Yeah, in, in, in PSG, he won the league. I mean, it's not the biggest Dortmund, he, he won uh, trophies at Dortmund. With Dortmund, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think he won... Um, Ma- you tell me, Poco, from, didn't he? from from Mainz, getting them from relegation-threatened team to European football, to Europe League, bear in mind, Manchester United are in that competition. That's yeah, firstly... But let's be he, honest, though. He left because the board, board, uh, like let's be ball. honest though. Come was. on, uh, winning the league with PSG is literally the most easiest thing you could do. I, I would love to be um, a well, manager no, and just his first given the team as PSG mate. have. Well, Daud, you 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 couldn't have picked a worse um, moment in the uh, season to say that because currently PSG are not top, and we're well into the season now. They just lost the game yesterday um, against uh, Lorient. So it's looking like, yeah, it's not as easy as it seems. Who, whose fault is that? Uh, you know, that's Tuchel's fault. Tuchel. How's that Tuchel's fault? PSG Tuchel's at Chelsea position? now. What are you on about? Like, like, what are you smoking? <laughs> nah, I mean, I see what Dowd's saying that the, that you know PSG have kind of fallen off a bit since they made the Champions League final. But I wouldn't necessarily say it, it's Tuchel's fault. I mean, it's, I think it's uh, a bit dismissive of the teams around PSG in the league that have vastly improved. I mean, the French league is not as weak as it once was and teams like Lyon and Lille and... Uh... It's, got a decent, uh, it's, got, it's got a decent top three, but obviously the, the, Roman, like when, the thing about League One or League One, if you want to be more cultural, is that the bottom six teams are absolutely tragic. They're, they're probably like competing at a championship standard, but like in the top half of the table, maybe the top seven, those, those teams can hang in the Premier League and Lyon... If you put Leon and Neil in the Premier League, they'll be in the top eight. And I don't even know top if that's a praiseworthy sentence top for the league. Top eight. But, Come on, are uh, you being know, serious? They're good teams. And, yeah, but look how stacked the Premier League is, man. All the money. Like, the other divisions wish they could uh, bring in as much revenue. I mean, Newcastle splashing 40 million on Joe Linton, who's awful, is just embarrassing in, in a way. So, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't want to get too much into a league versus league discussion, but just to, to go back to Thomas Tuchel and... Um, so, the, I, would, I wouldn't blame him for PSG struggles. But I think, I think uh, Ali is right. I think... Chelsea fans have a lot to look forward to. And the, the, the reason that they should be excited the most is that maybe they'll be able to salvage the Havertz and Werner transfers because with Lampard, those two transfers are not looking good. I watched um, the game yesterday against um, against Burnley, who, by the way, gave one of the worst performances I've ever seen uh, from a Premier League club. I think that kind of went under the radar a bit. But yeah, they looked like a completely different side from Lampard. The passing was more, uh, like had more intent behind it. And I know he's barely been there, and maybe it's just the new manager bounce rather than his work on on the training ground. But uh, like like Ali said, you know his resume is very very impressive. It shadows Lampard's, you know, tenfold. So yeah, I mean Chelsea have Chelsea fans have a lot to look forward to. 
And to be honest, I kind of want to see him do well. I mean, he looks, he comes across really well in his interviews. Um, he even, you know, was playing a bit of a, a joke on the uh, like the Chelsea uh, revolving door of managers, saying, you know, if I'm here, I'm here. If I'm not, I'm not. Like it is what it is. Like he knows that he probably won't be here, uh, be here long. But yeah, I mean, and you know what? It just adds again to the pedigree of coaches in the league now. I mean, it's just unbelievable in the Premier League. So it's a good addition. You know what? With Thomas Tuchel. He's not here for a long time. He's here for a good time. He's here to win trophies because that's what Chelsea want. You know, that's it really. You know, he had issues at Dortmund, had issues of Mainz, had issues of PSG. He's always had issues, so it's not going to really matter. He's here to win trophies and he's going to rock and roll Chelsea to the top again. That's what any club wants. Imagine going for a job interview and then saying, oh yeah, so we want you here to win trophies and you're like, well, no, nah, mate, why would you want to get me in this room anyways for an interview? You're just talking, the obvious, man. <laughs> what can he What can he bring? He, uh, What other players have said underneath him? He, They've said that the way Thomas Tuchel sometimes gives you advice, the way he wants you to play, sometimes does not make sense. He's very, very harsh. Now, there's a lot of players that haven't listened to him in the past and obviously where have they fell through. Bro. A lot of the players that have actually stuck by him. What and are you on about? Um, the little nuances of of what Thomas Tuchel wants. They have thrived under, underneath Bro. him. Now, it, it's... Can you give me examples? Are Chelsea going to give him enough time uh, to get all those egos that will listen to him and that won't listen to him in and out How of the door? was it five years ago? Oh, that's a, that's a big claim. I, I think everyone listening to this podcast, I'll you have, have to find them. Those mainz mind's players exist. Man, doubt, uh, man. You, you're so frustrated, man. I mean, the 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 evidence points to the contrary. I mean, he's got he had a great he had a great working relationship with um, with Pulisic at Dortmund. Um, you know, Thiago Silva was captain under him at PSG. So already, there's like two key players for Chelsea that are probably relishing to work under him again um, and to be honest he seems like the kind of manager that knows how to manage egos as well I mean PSG as easy as the league is for them in recent years they've got a lot of uh, you know star players and it's it's always one of those things where some managers that can't make it at the top it's not because they're tactically inept it's just that their man management isn't suited to, um, you know to big high profile players so he's proven he can do that and his resume as a tactical manager already speaks for itself so I don't really see, uh, you know, time will prove whoever right, but I really don't see uh, any pessimism. I personally believe that the tactical side of it, he hasn't proven himself yet in the top, top, top echelons of actually getting... He was in the what Champions League final three months ago, man. Oh, what are you on about? Man. He couldn't even win the uh, final with his team. Bro, it was against a world-class Bayern Munich team. Also, he won the Pokal in the do- dominant Bayern era that we're through. Tuchel as well, you've got to know that when you know losing his job at PSG wasn't just uh, purely results driven. I think he made a very interesting, like kind of snarky comment when he left the job and he said, you know, being the manager of PSG, it's not just always about the football. There's extra pressure that you have to deal with. I think he was alluding to the fact that, you know, with their ownership, there's there's things going on like they're forcing them to do stuff, the corporate side of things, and there's just always pressures to to kind of be, make them happy. And it's not just about football results. And I just think he he wanted out of that environment where Chelsea. Uh, to be honest, he's put himself into a, a hostile environment again. Maybe not to the level of PSG, but uh, Chelsea just... like You never think of Chelsea and think about stability, even though it's kind of odd because Chelsea's model runs on a, a very chaotic turnover of, of, of management staff and playing staff. 
But they're always winning trophies, always. Like, they're always successful, ever since Abramovich bought them. So it works, doesn't it? It's quite unique. The, I've, I've never seen a club thrive on so much change like Chelsea. Everyone else seems to suffer for it. Yeah, but how many of them would you say Abramovich unfairly uh, got rid? I can only think of Conte in recent times, to be honest, and, and maybe Rafa to an extent. Ancelotti. But to be honest... Yeah, okay, but that was what? Quite a while ago. Yeah, so it works, but it's like Lampard is probably the most like I know he was a club legend, but and the results weren't that bad. But let's if you look at if you look at last season, right? Um Lampard looked his way into third. Uh he Chelsea did not play in a way that merited that position. You know, Leicester shit the bed and you know, Chelsea capitalised, which to be fair to him, you know, give him some credit for that, but it was never gonna be sustainable and they had to kick on this season to secure top four again and I think Chelsea did the right thing by getting rid of him yeah he's a club legend yeah he's done a lot for the for the club but they wouldn't have gotten top four maybe not even top six the way he was uh, playing to be honest uh, like the last few games they were just all that attacking talent they could barely create chances the cynical side of me thinks that they brought Lampard in because they wanted a manager like him to oversee the period of no transfers in the, in the youth introductions like they didn't want a top-class manager to kind of suffer his winning percentage or something by saying, OK, you handle the transfer ban, you handle all these kids. Whereas Lampard, it's like club legend, motivation, boost for the fans. He did what he did and got Champions League and now now they're serious and wanting to win things again because they splashed so much cash on Havertz and Werner. And I think that like they're saying, oh, well, we can't let this investment go to waste. We can't let Lampard kind of uh, ruin Werner's confidence to the point. By the way, I'm not saying that Lampard is the reason for Werner's struggles. These things are more complicated than that. But what I mean is that they thought, OK, we'll get another manager in, a more proven manager, and he'll make the best of this squad that we've just so heavily invested in. So we'll, we'll see how things go. We'll see if uh, Ali's prediction about um, Chelsea winning the league under him next year comes true. He can have the bragging rights. But finishing off the podcast for this week, I've got uh, an interesting segment for you guys where, I mean, it's, it's a very basic question, but what is your favourite type of football goal? And I want you to approach it from the uh, you know a two-way perspective one being what you prefer to watch when you're watching professionals do their thing and one being the one that you prefer to score when you yourself are playing football uh Daoud, uh, i'd like to kick things off with you so you know tell us what's the favorite type of goal you like when you're watching the matches and then the one that you like to score yourself when you're playing well um i think anybody who knows me knows that uh my favorite type of goal i do myself as well because obviously i don't have a left foot i train myself to actually use my my right foot as a rabona, uh, well as a rabona, does that make sense? Uh, but yeah, my my favorite type of goal is rabona. Uh, but uh, recently, I've really liked the Penenka finish um, in the, in for penalties. I don't know if that that counts, but that is just ultimate ultimate um, yeah, of big of goalness. What's the best Rabona you guys have ever seen in terms of professionals? I know that it was a really sweet one from Lamella a few years ago in the Europa League. Um, I, I feel like that, that technique is more, more suited towards crossing the ball, doesn't it? Like a, a winger likes to think, oh, the fullback's got me. He thinks he's got me my, my weak foot. Let me quickly hit out the Rabona and dish the cross into the box. But th- there's not that many goals that I can think of in professional football with a Rabona technique. All I know is I've scored plenty of Rabona goals in my, my um, I don't know, my, my non-professional days, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but a, uh, yeah, you're right. It's mainly it's ma- it's mainly left for um, actually uh, crossing. And uh, Ronaldo was really good at it. Hazard was really really good at it. Um, I, I I can't remember exact examples, but there's only been a very few Rabona goals uh, that I've oh, seen. Oh, we have to mention this. 
It wasn't even a cross and it wasn't even a goal. But it's such a famous failed Rabona from David Dunn when he was at Birmingham City. One of the funniest clips. You'll you have seen it in viral videos. You just probably won't put the fa uh, the name to the face. I think I've seen it before. It, uh, I, there's, there's been quite a few um, hilarious fails of Rabona. It, it's quite hard yeah, to I mean, do. The reason, this one is so funny. First of all, David Dunn. Bro, you should... A name like David Dunn should only be allowed to uh, do a five yards pass, not even a long, just a five yards pass. You call David Dunn. <laughs> That's the starting point. The second point is a very pudgy, stocky player who plays for Birmingham City. What are you doing trying the Ravona? And he really ate egg on the face because he, he fell over doing it. And it's it's obviously now in those like Benny Hill theme music YouTube compilations. So he's, uh, he, it's probably his biggest regret in his football career, to be honest. He pro he's probably been relegated before, but doing that Ravona, I can only imagine. It was uh, Davidson's biggest regret. So, um, I'll, I'll move it on to the next guy. Kudama, can you tell us a bit more about your favourite football goals in terms of watching them and scoring them? Yeah, uh, so my favourite football goal to watch is uh, a team goal executed to perfection. Because when you're playing football, it's probably the least type of goal you see happen because, you know, like, you know, the level we play at is, is tiki -taka crap. So you're not going to um, see team moves. Uh, tiki -tiki. Yeah, not necessarily tiki-taka, but like one-two quick-touch football. Uh, probably the most recent example I can think of was that by uh, Borussia Dortmund goal where uh, Haaland got on to the end of Sancho's cross. I don't know if you guys saw that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. I think it was against uh, Leverkusen. Just something like that. The Probably the pinnacle of that is Giroud. Uh, was it Giroud yeah, or Wilsh? Right. No, it was Wilshire's goal against Norwich yeah. for Arsenal. I think it was still in the Arsenal winger at the Emirates. Where yeah, that's probably one of my favorite goals I've ever seen, to be honest. And the reason that I, I love technical goals so much is like, because I'm saying like it's kind of the goals you can't do yourself on the football pitch, and like they're just so fun to watch. You know, they've like these you know to see a team on the same wavelength. You know, five, six, seven people just uh, passing it around for fun. I agree. To be honest, uh, I actually um, put the Giroud goal. Oh, sorry, the, the Wilshire goal. I should add. Uh, we keep saying Giroud because he, he played such a beautiful part of it. You think the goal counts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I yeah definitely. The best Premier League goal ever seen, honestly. I'll say that now. Yeah, it's actually just majestic to watch sometimes. Like, it definitely deserves to be in the conversation for the best Premier League goal of all time. But to answer your second part of that question, my favourite type of goal uh, to score is um, a solo dribble. You know, when you're playing football, you know, as fun as it is to win as a team, and I've played like, you know, in, in leagues where, we've, you know, we've won. My favourite goal is the one where it gets everyone just like looking at you. So, you know, I'm not going to say um, the Sunday league, uh, Alan St. Maximan or anything. But, you know, I could, I could dribble a decent, uh, a decent uh, you know, uh, ball every now and again. So when it comes off and you don't end up stumbling over your own feet and you manage to make it past two or three defenders and slot it past the keeper, and you're just playing on a high for the rest of the game, that's probably my favourite type of goal to score. You know, I will disclaimer that nine times out of ten, it probably, you know, ends up with embarrassment. But, and you know, in your own team cursing you for giving the ball away. But when it comes off, man, you just feel, you know, that, that high, unmatched. Yeah, to be honest, there's nothing like the solo dribble. I totally agree. No, it's, there is, like, in football, whenever you do anything well, your ego will boost. You'll think you're Ronaldo for the next 20 minutes. That's just how it is, isn't it, on the football pitch? Like, even winning, like, a 50-50, you'll look at the other guy and you're like, yeah, I just absolutely destroyed you in that 
So to do the very, very top tier of that, which is a solo dribble goal, having to take on... Because you've got to remember as well when you're playing, I mean, unless everyone listening to this is a seasoned 11-a-side player, most of our experiences are 7-a-side uh, or 5-a-side, so the spaces are more congested. So you actually have to rely on really nifty footwork to manage to do it. It's not just a case of knock and run, like an Adama Traore type with the pace. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, you're right, the, the, the feelings that you get from scoring it. And also the, the flip side. The feeling you get, you get from conceding against someone who does that, you, you'll hate that player for the rest yeah. of the match, you'll have it out for him. Yeah, exactly. Ali, what about yourself? Right. In terms of watching, watching goals, and scoring goals? I love counter-attacking goals, um, especially from corners. Watching Liverpool over the years do it over and over again. Salah just did one this weekend where uh, Curtis Jones had the ball, he whipped it to Shakiri and Shakiri um, just passed it. They got it Salah and Salah just whipped it in the net. I was like, oh my gosh, that just happened against West Ham. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that was a beautiful counter-attacking goal. Watch Absolutely of, like, beautiful. Counter-attacking goals. And it's just like, wow. Like, it's, I just appreciate it so much, you know. And you know that you have a nice, beautiful one-two touch football. You have the lovely solo goals. I appreciate yeah. quick counter-attacking football. Across that Shakira did was the most crucial bit of that attack, in my personal opinion. It was... I, I was th- linking it to uh, Jamal Lewis, um, Jamal Lewis uh, uh, crossing it to uh, Wilson. That was a absolutely point perfect um, cross. So was Shakiri's. Yeah, I agree. Shakiri's was good, but y- you want to talk about Mo Salah bringing that down on his weak foot. That's high level skill right there because a lot of players would still mess up that Shakiri pass. Not because the pass was rubbish, but you need such a, a high level of technical ability to control that the way Salah did. And it wasn't just controlling it to retain like control, but it set up the perfect finish, man. Mohamed Salah like gets a lot of criticism from time to time. You know, he doesn't really go through too many bad spells of form, but I think he, he's an, he's overly criticized. The guy's just a phenomenal player and um Watching Liverpool over you know the last few seasons, I agree, Ali. There's been some beautiful counter attacks. I can remember one um, when when the football resumed after lockdown in March and it was <laughs> Chelsea against yeah, Liverpool, I believe, I, when I Robertson just flew down. That was so scary. I was, you know, anytime I see a counter attack, I actually get like um, vicariously scared for the players who are defending it because it's lethal. Uh, the, the example I can think of uh, during uh, Mbappe's yeah. run against Argentina in the World yeah. Cup 2018, man, Marcos Rojo was taken to exactly. the shops and back. That that was. Uh, terrifying counter-attack watching the plates that resulted in a penalty though didn't it, it didn't of end course, up in a but goal. I mean like just the, the act the of counter-attacking of counter-attacking, counter-attacking yeah you're right counter-attacking players just, uh, it was, it's great they're absolutely aesthetically uh, satisfying and pleasing for sure I think my favourite counter-attacking goal I've seen just to stay out, like just on the topic of counter-attacks I don't know if anyone remembers um, you know Prime Mourinho at Madrid I think it was against Ajax that counter-attack with Ozil and, uh, leading it and Benzema finishing it I think it was at the end my days. Has anyone seen a counter-attack more perfectly executed oh, that than that cute. one? Just breakneck speed, like, down the f- middle of the pitch. Absolutely beautiful. I miss that Mourinho, to be honest. You know, we touched on him being a bit past it earlier in the podcast. And, you know, I, I do agree with that to that to some extent. Yeah, you... but, and when his teams were set up properly mm-hmm. in his prime, man, they could do damage. Yeah, on you the may camp. never see that again. What about the type of goal that you like to, to score, Ali, yourself? Well, I don't really play much football. I never really like scoring goals. I like taking people's legs out. <laughs> but the type of goal, the, the type of goal I did appreciate, and I do appreciate our headers. It's just the way you have to leap up and just get in the net and angle it in. Yeah, I'm a Liverpool fan, but I watched Alan Shearer as well growing up, and I just saw quite a few of them going in. Yeah, you know, I just appreciate headers so much. To be honest, headers are absolutely like yeah, they're, they're always very fun to watch. Because, to be honest, more from open play scenarios. I feel like headers from corners, yeah. 
you expect it to happen so there's like there's no real yeah. magic in that but when you see a beautifully flighted cross in from open play and a player guiding his header into the top bins you're right there's there's something satisfying rvp 2014 world cup is a perfect example of it cristiano ronaldo against manchester united where he pretty much jumps triple the height of ever I'll be honest, ball, the way Ronaldo jumps, absolutely, it's absolutely indeed. ridiculous, you're right, yeah, there's a certain, like, athletic art to it, and a technical art, um, yeah, the one for Van Persie in the World Cup was beautiful, in, in my personal experience, because yeah. I'll, I'll give my list now, because I was tragic at headers, I could only, I can play with my feet very well when I was playing football, but heading, forget about it, and my favourite type of goal to score was always rounding the goalkeeper, um, Every because rounding the goalkeeper, it's like, pure filth, you haven't just scored a goal, it's not like, because if you finish past the keeper, that's a 50-50. He's like, okay, whatever, I'm 1v1. But you want to humiliate him with an extra step. So I'm so much better than you that I'm going to take it past you and humiliate you. It's such a satisfying feeling. And you, you, like keepers hate it, man. When, when keepers get rounded, they can't stand it. So having that like split-second moment where everything slows down, you've got to stay composed. The keeper's there. You're like, okay, I can just do a quick shift. He's gone. He's going to try and dive. And... Uh, it's especially tricky to do it on a 7 or a 5 side pitch because most of them have in the rules that you're not allowed to enter the box as an attacker. So what I used to always do was uh, bring the ball up to the edge of the box, get the keeper to drag out to the corner and just play it around him but still from outside the box, leaving an open goal with your weak foot and uh, developed a bit of a habit for it. So rounding the goalkeeper, to be honest, I even love watching it. It doesn't actually happen much in professional football because obviously defenders are very good. The goalkeepers are very good. They don't expose themselves too much, but... It's definitely one of those. In terms of like the professional aspect of football, watching the favourite goal, it, it's got to be an overhead kick, man. Because overhead kicks, they take you by surprise every time. You know, players, you probably, they, well, overhead kicks don't even get attempted for maybe 20 or 30 matches that you watch in a row, maybe even more than that. So when you see one come off and get scored, I don't know if you guys remember the, well, of course you do, the Ibrahimovic one against England, come on, in the opening night of that stadium. Oh, wow. And did he score four goals that night or three goals? I can't even remember, but he was just absolutely ridiculous. And that, uh, is there a better overhead kick than Ibrahimovic one? Do you guys think? Ronaldo's against. Uh, I, I don't. Want, I don't know if it's better because it's hard to. The Ibrahimovic one was more physically difficult to pull off, but the keeper was off his line. Yeah. Whereas Ronaldo leaped, you know, however many uh, meters into the air. And it was just like a something out of an anime. It was like, you know, when the kicking leg goes up at a 90 degree angle, it was just picture perfect. And I still remember, like, I think that was probably like the reaction of the UVA fans afterwards and him saying that was like one of the reasons he moved because of the standing ovation he got after that. Yeah, I think as much as I'd, I'd say Ibrahimovic is harder, but I would say Ronaldo's is better to watch. Does anyone sense. remember the one that uh, Philippe Mexes scored for AC Milan in the Champions League? Uh, it was a long time ago. Oh, but, yeah. The yeah, centre-back, I, he, he, I would recommend you guys pull it up on YouTube if you don't know it. Um, he he chest-controlled it from outside the box. And he got such a sweet contact on it. No chance for the keeper and for a centre-back to do that. Uh, I know this one might be a bit uh, painful to bring up for, for Ali, but uh, Gareth Bales against Karius in the Champions League final is also a beautiful, beautiful head I kick. Uh, no, I disagree, mate. You know, Karius's position wasn't as what it should be really. Um, you just but still, because like... Gareth Bale had to adjust, you know, he was running away, he was running in like, you know, in parallel to the ball. He had to, you know, switch, turn on the spot almost, and leap to connect with that overhead you know, kick. I, was... I admire the attempt, but I, I don't think it's what Ronaldo did. 
you know, if we're talking about favourite goals and whatnot, I'll tell you my favourite player, Luis Suarez of all time, and he's scored some of the best goals I've ever seen. Yeah, Luis Suarez in his prime, especially in his Liverpool days, was the catalogue of goals he scored were all so different. You know, that guy scored so unbelievable uh, headers, unbelievable volleys, free kicks, scored he a free kick on the weekend. You know, Sometimes uh, commentators like to talk about a class player by saying he's having a goal of the season competition all on his own. But Suarez had a goal against the same opposition competition all on his own when he was destroying Norwich every single match. Man, the Canaries... <laughs> Man, I love that man. The, the two, the two, the one match I loved was the one where um, he scored the free kick, he scored the really long distance volley, and then he scored the one that he, he needed to flick the ball over one of the opposition, and it was like a half volley side angle. Oh my god, man! Th those goals were so high quality. He he scored so many quality goals. It's just unbelievable. This is a different debate that I'd be happy to open the floor for next time. We don't have enough time for this week, but I would maybe we should debate on who had the best patch of form ever as a Premier League player. And I think that Suarez run is probably more magical than anything I've ever seen in the Premier League. It's probably a bit of short-termism, in my opinion. And we'll get into a more research debate the next time. But that was just ridiculous. I've never seen a player play like Suarez did in those few months. A really good debate, lads. Thanks uh, for coming on this week. Uh, Dowd, I always like to leave this last part to you where you can tell everyone where to follow us. Yeah, of course. Um, so, thanks again, everybody. This is our third week of recording COVID Secure Online and Sorry again if there's any technical audio qualities that are not up to our usual excellent standard. Uh, but hopefully we're going to get to a stage where it's going to be seamless and hopefully when lockdown, ease, lockdown eases in terms of pressure for workplaces, we're going to be back to our normal places. So as usual, you can always find us all on all the major hosting platforms for podcasts. So Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We're also on Instagram the dressing room nine and facebook is usually the best place to find whenever we release a new episode so it just follows on the dressing room uh, and we've also got a youtube channel which we upload um you know the episodes on there as well and on there it's just the dressing room as well so yeah thanks again guys and um everybody else say thank you see you later yeah, yeah. Bye. cheers